would you say if I were to tell you that it was possible for a man to turn into a werewolf? I'd say I was Little Red Riding Order. <laughs> like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very long overdue episode of Queer for Fear. Unlike our last episode, I am happy to announce that David and I have been reunited. Yes. And we are together in person, safely, with distancing, hand sanitizer, and so much alcohol that we could probably potentially cure ourselves of whatever illness that we could come in contact with by the end of this episode. Not saying that we're not already mentally ill. But I would like to just start off with a little content warning of today's episode. We are doing a viral pandemic podcast for you all today. And while some of our topics and humor jokes contained in this episode might seem like we're not taking the current climate seriously, and we would just like to remind you that horror is a very oftentimes morbid humor escapism where it allows us to confront current societal fears and our own personal fears and sort of funnel it through insane, crazy scenarios. Um, So please, anything that is said after this lovely little warning, do not take it seriously. Do not believe that we are not living our lives like a Karen and walking around without a mask on. Um, (laughs) I walk around with the literal mask on and then my, you know, figurative mask so nobody knows how disturbed I really am. Um, So just as we go through this, just know uh, we have not seen each other in a rather long time. Um, And we have safely come together to make this episode for the very few of you that like our show. So thank you for listening to the content warning. And if you would like to leave now, (laughs) jump, because this is your only chance for a cure. This is your last opportunity. Yes. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) after this, you know. Yes. Mm. So uh, as Sean mentioned, we wanted to have an episode based on viral pandemic films yes part partially because obviously it's timely through what we're going through now but also partially because the concept of viral pandemic horror films is such a huge portion of the horror genre yeah and uh, and the horror subgenres too like there are horror thrillers with viruses there are horror sci-fi movies with viruses and there's action thrillers with viruses um most notably a very recent film from the mid-2000s called contagion where at the start of this pandemic um everybody was turning to to be like oh wow it wasn't that far off from the truth so Our main message to you all in this is that while we don't want to say that we're providing a better response than the government did at the start of this (laughs) pandemic, we're providing you a better response than the government did at the start of this pandemic. So brace yourselves, strap in, and just be ready for a onslaught of 
I don't want to say lengthy, but at least intense discussion. So we're going to lead off with a couple of films that, after sitting through everything, while may not be as gay as we would definitely like, <laughs> hit a little too close to home for the current climate that we're living in. Um, yes. And then after that, we're going to go through some of our personal favorites that involve um, dealing with a pandemic or a virus. So, yes, I will be talking about Resident Evil a little bit later on. Sorry. Um, but, and also about a few surprising choices that, that might come up from that. Um, I am Legend, uh, for one, and I... <laughs> controversial. David doesn't like this, so guys, we're not going to tell David. He's totally not listening. Um, but The Mist also highlights a big thing that I think deserves to be commented upon with this whole, like, Karen social media emergence and like i'm fine with the mist this whole why do you think i wouldn't be fine with the mist <laughs> because it's not about a pandemic it's about a mist wow it's just you know the whole message of like it's the fine. people are the monsters and not the virus which is also what people are saying about this yes. but we're gonna kick it off a little old school style so we're gonna go about 20 years ago to like 2002 um david's very excited about this it's a movie that I watched in 2002 and haven't really revisited since then um, because it's gross. So, David, your pick for global pandemic preparedness would be... Cabin Fever. Am I, I don't think Cabin Fever is that gross, honestly. And also, Sean, you're making me feel very old right now because... It just occurred to me that Cabin Fever, yes, is almost 20 years old, yep. which is crazy to 2002. Me. 2002. So, and we IMDb'd that, so check it. So an interesting thing about Cabin Fever is the fact that um, even though it is in the 2000s, it actually feels, to me at least, a very classic horror film. And when most people define a classic horror film, it's usually not in the realm of the 2000s, especially considering the fact that there have been many viral outbreak films, as we may or may not discuss later on, back into the 1970s, viral horror outbreak films. But Cabin Fever really was very special. It really, to me, did a great job of um, consolidating um, a lot of tropes that went on to define this type of subgenre, right? So um, Cabin Fever played on the fact that um, they were kind of an ignorant group of teenagers who were, you know, super like sexed up and not really interested in caution, which uh, kind of plays back to earlier horror tropes like Friday the 13th and the classic trope of sexed up teenagers who were really getting murdered at a to, camp. Yeah, they were getting murdered at camp. They didn't really know what was going on. I mean, okay, so for those of you that don't know Cabin Fever outside of probably what all of us are currently feeling being trapped in our homes, it was a glorious little, I say glorious, I mean like glorious little movie um, that came Glorious, out in 2002. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's copyrighted. Just kidding. Um, where a group of teenagers got into a cabin and went exploring and one fell in the water. 
And I guess you could argue it was viral. It seems more like a bacterial thing to me. But anyway, um, their skin started to fall off and dissolve and like... That's all? All I can... All I, like, I, and again, I'm going to be honest. No, I did not research this movie when I saw that this was going to come up because it's just too gross. All I remember is the scene of the girl sitting in the bathtub and she goes to shave her leg and she runs the razor up and it just takes all of her leg skin off with uh, it. And that's, iconic. that's it. Yes, iconic. Clearly, haven't watched it in 18 years. But... You haven't watched it since it came out? No. <gasps> Maybe, that's a lie. Maybe 16, I will say it was probably on Sci-Fi Channel when I first watched it. Um, and I mean, it, it, it does um, definitely play on that idea of taking like a trope of, you know, Friday the 13th, that serial killer, those tropes of, you know, over-sexualized teenagers, um, you know, going out to the wilderness to, like, this run-down remote cabin where they don't have, you know, the usual resources like our kids do now with iPhones, iPads, Apple Watches, um, you know, technology in every aspect of them, their person, and, like, letting them unleash into, like, this uninhibited nature environment. And one could argue, you know, it, instead of having a serial killer like Jason or Michael, you had this sort of bacterial viral right skin so, eating something that's unseen gestation that that isn't a creepier idea because it is unseen and i think that to me made it icky um definitely would play up like this idea of like what is dangerous but i also think it it plays to one of those stereotypical scenes because there are characters in it that like usher to this like uneducated rednecky like backwards especially towards the end of the film um, when one of the few remaining characters is like picked up in a pickup truck and is like driving away that I do remember. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's this whole concept of right. rural versus urban, urban fear. And I, I, I just, I think it's, it, it's interesting um, to see this because it's like you have, um, I, I mean, thinking about this now and like looking at current events since this pandemic started and I know we did a remote episode, but like really, you know, we haven't been together since March. And so it's like this idea of like this large party, like teenagers going together. You see like the incident in the Poconos um, or like all the teens that went to Florida for spring break and then like contract tracing showed them like going home and you have all the states that put the mm -hmm. bans in place, you know, like how we're in Maryland, but like if we try to travel to like New Jersey or New York, we'd have to quarantine for two weeks and get tested for COVID just in order to be able to like stay in their state because of our positivity rates with the coronavirus. So like there's this whole layered aspect from this one film. Um, and then, I mean, of course, not to, to bring up the black sheep and all of this, but there is the shot for shot, word for word, <laughs> weird remake that occurred in like 2016. Um, it, that was Eli, produced by Eli, Eli Roth. Eli Roth's uh, remake. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think I, about that? I, um... <sighs> wow, it's not uh, often that you're at a loss for words. I don't know if I'm at a loss for words as much as I can't understand the purpose of taking a film and remaking it 14 years later. Um, I, I, I understand the, the, like, idea of, like, if we're going to go pandemic remakes, um, there's the crazies where George Romero did it in the seventies and then it got remade in the two thousands. 
Sure. Um, personally, I think that's an example where the remake is better than the original. Fight me on it. I don't care. Um, roast us in comments or Twitter or whatever you want. Go ahead. Oh, no, I um, agree with you. <laughs> but I, I think it's one of those situations where that had a purpose. The climate has changed. Like, that was a great lesson, especially, you know, with, like, the urge of agriculture and, like, where, again, that idea of, like, urban versus rural fears and, and political climate. Uh, but the 2016 remake, I think, damaged what made the original... I think terrifying for me because it was literally just a rehash just done up with more new technology a smaller yes. budget but like still they didn't change the script you didn't change the story it was literally a beat exactly. for beat word for word yeah. you could play them and like no, while the, the, the original was so fucked up because it was fucked up yeah in, in almost a one take kind of situation where it's like we're just gonna record anything that happens and that i feel like that's what your experience was as a viewer it's like okay these um uh teens slash 20 something i don't know how old they were they're isolated in the space and um you uh, there are no double takes yeah there's <laughs> so, and I, I i found it stale um the original? Or no, the... no, just the remake. Okay, I just thought I was, was gonna so. Say. Okay. I, I, to, to, I mean, I don't remember the the original that clearly. Um, I I watched it. I was God, uh, two thousand and two. I was in seventh grade, so I was a little young to to be watching it. But it just never was something that stuck with me. But the the idea, like that that ickiness and that like isolated, like this killer you can't see. Um, or like be able to combat or mm -hmm. control was something that I loved. Lo and behold, now that I'm saying that and we're actually stuck in something where we have this killer that we cannot see nor control and we don't know if we personally get it, how we're gonna cope with it. But mm -hmm. I think that played up um, and kind of spread through Hollywood in the early 2000s. Um, not just Hollywood, but like internationally in terms of like the horror market, I think um, it really sort of spread you had like during the same time period that this movie was made you had the resurgence of the zombie film um so you know this whole idea of like a virus like with resident evil and you had like the the rabies strain um aggression mm -hmm. mutation from 28 days later uh you you know you would get later into like 2007 2008 you had i am legend which was an another metaphor that saw you know, the eradication of humans and the rise of this vampiric species and that through this viral pandemic and infection that happened, like, Will Smith's human character was really the one that became the monster at the end of it. And it right. was like humanity at that point was then the bad ones. Mm -hmm. But it was also, you know, this... Like, if we're trying to say, oh, this governmental issue that we're talking about, and, like, the shutdown of this combat against, like, the United States Postal Service and, like, the dangers of what could happen in this upcoming election and, like, how the United States has sort of failed to, to step up to respond to this virus, you could really go, um, and I'm going to highlight the Spanish versions of the films first because there was four of them, um, and they're, I don't want to say better um, than the two because only one is really related but you could look at the rec series um and i i think it it's you get this 
um, very, very isolated, like, especially the first film, which was made um, for American audiences under the name of Quarantine in 2008. Um, but it was, you have one building with this isolated incident, and then it just gets instantly quarantined by the government. You get no answers. You don't know what's up. Like, it, mm -hmm. it highlights a very big fear that I think... Not only did you have this, like, zombie-like infection, where depending on which version of the movie you're talking about, whether Record Quarantine has a religious aspect or not religious aspect to it, um, with, like, a demonic possession and everything like that, which is getting oh, way outside of the field. Oh, do you think it had a demonic possession The Spanish film did. Like, the Spanish film was all about this parasitic infestation that was caused from, like, an occult thing, which went through Rec 1, Rec 2. Oh, okay. So on and so forth. Um, uh, quarantine, not so much. Um, yeah, quarantine but was I, much more based on like a viral. Yeah, and it, it it definitely was sort of like a pre-purge, like socio-political film. I think that that highlighted like government interference or like government cover-ups, which we're not conspiracy theorists, so like we're not pushing any agenda. But I think that like. It was, like, the first, I think, stepping stone in, like, people to kind of put a connection to, like, potentials of government that, you know, they're uh, yeah, going to uh, shut shit down. Right. And a, a big terrifying aspect of quarantine slash wreck is that um, in this situation, you're you as the victim are experiencing something that is in a very um, low-key kind of condensed environment where you're like kind of in the middle of a city and you're thinking like, okay, if I can just get out of here, everything will be okay. But everything won't be okay because the government is locking you into here. So um, the people who are supposed to be like kind of your saver element are your enemy. Yeah. And that's a very interesting take on the horror genre where uh, your supposed savior is your undoing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's also at, at the time, um, it was a really big trend. Like this whole, not even at the time, but like the whole idea of like given a viral pandemic or like a global pandemic of something. I mean, this was an apartment scale, but like if you drag it out, there was numerous films that happened where that whole idea of, like, the government cannot be trusted oozed through it. Like, the crazies had that message. Um, you know, it was the government going in to contain the town. The outbreak started spreading. Um, you know, at the end, they decided to that they were going to nuke it. Um, or, or, like, the happening where, yeah. uh, where the government knew absolutely nothing. And you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> the plants did that one. And it had your Mark house Wahlberg. plants are trying to kill you. And <laughs> Mark Wahlberg talking to a plastic tree. That's what you call a nod to the genre, <laughs> and we're not going to get into it. That's a whole nother episode of just disappointment, people. I mean, M Night went on to redeem himself, but like still. But I, it, this this whole government distrust, um, I think, is very similar to Trump's politicalization of. COVID and, and its responsive, like, we see state leaders and, you know, um, state governments taking actions to combat things, and then the federal government, 
at the highest level, just choosing to downplay, ignore, or in some cases, because of the pandemic and politically charged movements like Black Lives Matter, which, you know, was a, a critical event to take place and that we both supported and, and went out to participate in our own cities for, um, you know, saw federalized police and militaristic forces turn on U.S. citizens. So it literally was sort of like watching one of these movies, turning right. the video off and yeah. then looking outside and literally seeing a very similar playbook. Yeah. Um, Before our eyes. Yeah. It, it's, you know. Yeah. And a, a, a movie that actually I was hesitant to kind of include in this episode but actually now that we have gotten into the super like fear-based um stage of the pandemic um but that i want to mention at least very briefly is it comes at night um so it comes at night 2017 um is a technically a pandemic horror-based thriller film fallout film it, yeah it, it's i i would um, most people would consider it post-apocalyptic but um others would consider it current apocalyptic because the world was ending as it was happening but but either way um it comes at night is this very interesting artistic film that talked about um what happens when um, you are so desperate for human contact to, yeah. to where you are quarantined for so long that like you want someone to come into your but space, then there's also this but fear. at the same time, you don't want someone mm -hmm. to come into your space. So it's this kind of paradoxical um, situation where it's like, I really, really, really want someone to be with my family and to come through this with me, but also... I feel like that person might want to kill my family. I have three <laughs> thoughts on that movie. Um, All right, one, go for it. <laughs> Joel Egerton is really hot. End of first thought. Not going to uh, <laughs> Who would? Um, two, I believe that the entire film was mismarketed um, in terms of its campaign like it was one of those a24 like early at festivals like got mm -hmm. like a hereditary type build of like this is terrifying and really it's almost more like a drama um of like watching just this this fear of this virus that like crippled the world and like what this family has to go through and like how it literally tears them apart um, I mean, that's not to say that this movie is not terrifying. It it really is a difficult film to watch, but I think it... They do suspense very well. They, they do. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say terrifying yeah. is a word that I would use for watching this film, but it, it's a they do suspense building very I, well. I think when I said it was terrifying, I think given the climate we're in, it makes it terrifying. Um, just right. this, this super, like just militarized heightened like law and order um like fascist morphism that their current democracy state is trying to combat um it, it it's easy to have a sense of loneliness um 
I mean, we, we all live in this era where, yeah, we have technology, so it's, like, really easy to FaceTime or Zoom you, and it's, like, we can work from home, and we can Zoom everybody all day long, and, like, I can teach my students via Zoom, but it's also, like, you know, you go and you go to the store, like, so you head out to the grocery store, or you go to Target, or, like, you do something to mm-hmm. try to, to be socially distant and social outdoors, and you see a friend, and it's it's still this, like... There's that excitement of you want to see them and you want to interact, but also this right. hesitation of could this be like the the one time that if I jeopardize, like I'm going to get, you know, After ill get or sick virus. or exposed or right. get the virus. Um, and I, I, I it, think that's it, what... It, it's very timely, right? Because like yeah. the, the there has been a politicization of... This where's, current virus. Where's my drink? <laughs> I was like, it's in to, your hand, honey. I'm getting too. Oh yeah, it's it's getting too <laughs> deep for me. I don't like this. I'm the shallow one. Remember? Like I was the one when we talked about as above, so below. I was like, it looked good. Okay, <laughs> I was like decent, middle aged, like grade production value, and now I'm like, this is like. Right. I don't know if I go to talk to David if I'm gonna die tomorrow, <laughs> but. Uh, the concept of viral outbreak movies is, it's kind of disturbing, right? Because we're living through something to where, and I, I really like, I don't want to hyper-politicize this episode, but, Sorry. I, will, but I will say like um, something that we're going through right now actually follows a lot of the horror tropes yeah. that, that we're experiencing, which is, Normally, there is a scientist who is warning the government mm-hmm. about some sort of viral epidemic outbreak, um, and the government powers uh, who are in charge at the time, whoever it may be, Democrat, Rep- Republic, whatever, most horror films do not usually designate either way, but either way, they don't believe the scientist. Can I piggyback off of this sentence please because you describing this actually reminds me of one of my most favorite television shows developed by one of my most favorite people and it was actually on the list of things to talk about but i didn't even notice that and i was just listening to you talk about it um so for those of you that don't know this i'm a huge Guillermo del toro fan which who isn't I've loved this guy. All I want is just a hug from him. Like, that's really just truly my life goal, is to just to be able to hug Guillermo del Toro. And he wrote a trilogy of books called The Strain, and then FX turned it into a TV show for four seasons. Um, it starred Corey Stoll from um, Netflix's House of Cards, and he was a villain in uh, the first Ant-Man movie. Um, he's been in other stuff too. Great guy. But this show literally, like, while it deals with vampirism, is, vampirism is told as a viral pandemic. Like, it is these parasitic worms, and then it just spreads, and you see it go from, like, one incident on an airplane, to one person, to, uh, like, a neighborhood in New York, to New York, to, like, the United States, and you see, like, governmental corruption... And, like, all of these back dealings of, like, what all these people go through. And then you turn on the TV, like, now. And this show ended in, like, oh, my God, 2017, 2018? Uh, 2017, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And and you, you you know, 
you turn on the TV now and it's like you, you're dealing with a, a, people could argue a corrupt government or you we're living believe it. in this government. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's you, we're, we're living this, this thing came from, you know, it, it got here, people started to get sick and then people started to point blame. And then instead of trying to take action, we just elevated the blame of where did this come from? And there was hostile word choice, which then heightened other feelings. And so it, it just grew. And it was very easy to sort of sit back. And I was just thinking about this. And I was like, this really, while it was an unrealistic depiction of the collapse of society, really mirrors, not saying that we're going to collapse as a governmental society, but I mean, just mirrors we might. the... Who knows? We could. <laughs> <laughs> David, the positivity person, everybody. Um, I'm the positivity person. <laughs> you, yep. Well, we'll see. But it anyways, was, it was just this, <laughs> it, this very like real depiction of what could happen. And then like to just see it now is, is a very terrifying thing to play out. But like, I mean, that was 2017. If we bounce back, you know, 10 years before that, we can really see like the horror of people and, other settings so like it doesn't even necessarily have to be a pandemic 2017 gave us a brilliant adaptation from frank darabont of stephen mm -hmm. king's novella the mist um i stand behind the ending of that movie as a side note 110 percent. i think oh, it's, me it's too. fantastic of course. and totally earned um but i think it it really touches on like the spread of evil in humans um mm -hmm. and how we're also the real monsters again, just like that I Am Legend. Um, global climate message. <laughs> Whatever. Right. Greta Gerwig is spewing. Not Greta Gerwig. Greta... What's her name? Greta Gerwig is a director. But there's the Greta the girl, <laughs> like the say, climate um... <laughs> activist. I will Google her name later. Sorry, everyone. Greta Thunberg? That one. That's it. Greta Gerwig <laughs> is a director. Like, um... It's fine. She made Little Women. Also, great movie. Does it have anything to do with tonight's conversations? No. Is it horror? Kind of, if you're not a gay man. Um, <laughs> um, so, it, it, it's just... To, to go back to that, it, it truly, like, you know, most of this movie takes place in a grocery store, and it sees, like, cliques of people formed, and, like, a fake type of government arise out of this, and there's this super religious aspect courtesy of Marsha Gay Harden and probably my favorite role of hers outside of Flubber in 97. Um, but you really just get this, like, to, to see what people are capable of and, like, how they don't want to play along and they're not, like, trying to be responsible or, like, do the selfless thing to help thy neighbor and, like, right. really just get mm -hmm. this evil, cruel humanness. And so you watch, like, you rewatch that now and then you turn on the news and you see all of these generally white men or white women um you know having a meltdown in a grocery store or a target because they're asked to wear a mask for the duration that they're in the store and it's an infringement on their rights and we're stupid and we don't know you know store policy can't do that and like there's blah blah whatever right and so it's yeah. it's We've seen this like, all before in horror movies. Like, Marsha Gay Harden's <laughs> character has this, like, giant meltdown in The Mist before, spoiler alert, um, she gets shot in the head. And, like, it's a very similar argument of, like, where she's telling people off of, like, they don't know and they have right. to sacrifice to appease. And, like, you, you see this white woman in that movie having a meltdown. And, like, y'all, I watched it, like, three days ago. 
and we saw and then a, I like opened Facebook three days ago. Yeah, it was like I opened <laughs> Facebook and I'm scrolling through, and there's a Karen, you know, having a meltdown in Target, throwing masks around because she was asked by an employee to put a mask on. I, and we horror fans are like, um, girl, that's not going to work out that well for you. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, she didn't get shot in the head. Thank God. I, I don't want anybody to die in this. I mean, consider yourself lucky, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, but, but, but it, it's it, it, this whole this whole situation is fascinating because um, Char and I often in this show talk about how um, art imitates life, to where horror is a reflection about things that we're dealing with, and uh, one of the reasons why we really wanted to talk about viral outbreaks at this episode is that. Uh, this is not something new, right? So, like, you know, we're uh, we're looking at themes in horror that have existed for a very long time, and um, I, I don't want to get too into like um, early thrillers because you know this is a horror podcast. But like, um, I at least want to give a nod to um, the Andromedon Strain from 1971. Michael Crichton. Uh, which was a uh, Crichton-based film, 1971. He wrote the book, too. Just yeah. saying. And this yeah. was also the guy that made my favorite movie, Jurassic Park. So I, yeah. I know a little bit. So, so for, for folks who aren't aware, um, The Andromeda Strain, um, it, it's a film uh, from uh, 1971, and I really wanted to mention it because it is one of the most early, if not the earliest, um pandemic outbreak films uh-huh. however this is a really interesting film because it's a sci-fi film and also the the disease that is falling upon humanity is coming from aliens which i think is just like really interesting and cool and that i feel like that's something that hasn't been replicated i'm gonna I'm, I, I agree um side note it was in the early 2000s i, I want to say 2008 but somebody's gonna have to fact check me on that so politico looking at you just kidding um but it was remade for tv with like Benjamin bratt um oh it was yeah so okay. it did get like an updated retelling of it recently um but if we are gonna do this and we're gonna go that route with it um listening listening to us now and like looking at the notes that we prepped on this I'm a little disappointed that it's taken me this long to realize, but we are missing a pinnacle of what I feel like is a quintessential pandemic. It's not a movie. What is it? It was a TV show, and now it's being made again as a TV show, courtesy of CBS. But uh, Stephen King's The Stand... Oh, The Stand! Literally. How did we forget The Stand? That is... So... One of the longest audiobooks I think I've ever listened to in my life. Of course. Uh, could not bring myself to read it because I looked at the size of that book and I was like, no thanks. Um, did listen to it. And literally does a brilliant job of just encompassing, um, like, end of society, like, watching this virus be created spreading so like the whole for those of you that have never read this i will briefly sidebar for you um but it talks about the collapse of society and the spread of this virus and like all of this stuff and then you get to 
post-virus, the rise of this ultimate battle between good and evil, and then you get to the end. Um, soon to be a show on CBS starring James Marsden and Alexander Skarsgård. I was not paid for this promotion, so I would really like to receive a check at the nearest convenience. Thank you so much. But yeah, I, I, it's you, you can't have... You know, that came around in, like, I think it was the early 80s, late 80s, early 1990s um, that that was created. Um, so while horror is really upplaying, like, these severities of um, pandemics and, like, this antitrust in government or, like, this quiet killer it's going to kill your teenagers in a cabin and, you know, it's, you have the other aspect of it that's, like, we're going to make zombies out of it um, with, you know... Resident Evil, I Am Legend presents the same story, just done up as vampires. Um, 28 Days Later did it just with, like, you know, rabies-infected individuals. Um, you, you get this real sort of grounded, actual depiction of it from stuff like the Andromeda Strain, which, you know, was a whole town that was very much wiped out, very similar to uh the stand um but there was just one surviving baby and so everybody was like what does this mean and then you also <laughs> have um you know you you take that thriller out further you get outbreak in 1995 uh, a great movie um with dustin hoffman renee russo kevin yes i like to touch little Iconic. boy spacey um uh, who had to go spoiler there. alert dies in the movie so if anybody really is unhappy with how rewarded he was with house of cards watch outbreak great death um <laughs> uh, i i'm like what's in the box cringing but also cheering <laughs> what's in the box your career um and then you get you know you kind of grow from that. You got early 2000s brought on like different versions of like end of the world via pandemic route. So you get Alfonso Curion's Children of Men, which yes. was a pandemic of sterilization that destroyed humanali or humanity, humanity um, because we're facing extinction. And then you have right. the one woman to give birth in such a long time. Which is kind of like a, a reverse pandemic right because, yeah because it's like it's it's not it offers the hope at the end of it right it's like it, it it's a the virus is not um promulgating by killing people it's promulgating by reducing the population which is really interesting to me and then you 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 get a opposite side of that with the another julianne moore film because she was briefly in Children of Men. Not a spoiler alert. But you get blindness, um, which I, is then where the pandemic starts attaching. So it's a great book. It was a book. The movie is okay. It also stars Mark Ruffalo. So like, if you're like, oh my god, the Hulk is so dreamy and you want something new, right. um, you have that. Um, so that's about how people just start to randomly go blind. Um, which is a thing. Decent movie. Better book. Equally, though, still on this, like, pandemic idea, but instead of a virus that kills you, it's attacking things. And then you also right. get this 2011 film. God, we're going so far back now. Like, nine years. My God. Um, 2011 is not very far. <laughs> just just to put it out there. <laughs> uh, this film, Perfect Sense, which had Ava Green and Ewan McGregor. 
and it's where uh, a virus starts to spread that slowly makes you lose your senses. Mm-hmm. So you like lose your sense of taste. You lose your sense of smell. Sound familiar? Because uh, those yeah, both happen that, to be COVID symptoms. That's um, disturbing. <laughs> and then after that, Go you start on. to lose your like sense of sight and hearing and all the other ones. Um, so, you know. Great. There's a little bit of what we're feeling now hidden in there, but it's about two people that fell in love and they have to navigate all of this. And oh my God, so wonderful. But it's, we've, I guess case in point of this whole episode and like the reason why David and I felt like we wanted to highlight some of these things is that Hollywood and cinema globally have been making movies about viruses and pandemics and global like governmental lockdowns. So getting shut in and having cabin fever. And so they take all of these fears that we're currently sitting through and like trying to navigate our own selves while we're in our own heightened fight or flight modes. Mm-hmm. And they offer an outlet that seems really ridiculous or serious or, you know, watching Morgan Freeman and Dustin Hoffman have a, helicopter battle um (laughs) courtesy of outbreak if anybody wants to relive that great part uh but they we've watched this we've seen this so they've given us these heightened things and in the end there's always some silver lining there's always some moment that is going to present a change and i think if we're going to end this episode on pandemics or sort of wrap it up um, we've made a lot of jokes. I've made a lot of off-collar jokes, made a lot of statements about government, states, whatever. But but I think, you know, each of these t- stories, even The Mist, bless that sending heart <laughs> for everybody but the main characters, there's a silver lining. People make it through. Like, even The Stand. Like, the virus happened, decimated almost everybody. They made it through. Like, you could take any of these films. You could look at Resident Evil. Alice, she made it through. You could take the I Am Legend, the other two people, minus Will Smith, and and even, I guess, the vampires, (laughs) who were really the the (laughs) real big victims there, make it through. And so will we. As long as we pay our part in, in doing it. The so as we wear our fucking mask. <laughs> don't be Marsha Gay Harding at the grocery store. Don't walk around and just say that it's your God willing right to lead and not wear a mask. Strap it on your face, wear it for 30 minutes, go back to your car, take it off, scream to whatever individual or belief, God, anything you want. Because at the end of the day, if Michael Myers can fucking put a mask on and walk around in a William Shatner spray-painted hood for multiple installments and manage to slash the fuck out of people, you can manage wearing one piece of cloth around your nose. You all can't see this, but I'm literally clapping and screaming. <laughs> if Jason can finally, in a third installment, get a hockey mask to hide that ugly-ass mug... And keep it on until it's upgraded in the 10th installment when he goes to space. You can keep a piece of cloth strapped over your fucking mug too. Because if we all play our part, we all get to come out of this at the end. And if we all come out of this at the end, 
David and I can finally go back to the movie theaters to watch all of the horror movies that have been delayed this year because we can't seem to get our act together as United States citizens in order to be able to let the movie theaters open back up safely. And I don't know about you or my cat that's meowing awkwardly in the background. I really would like to watch Candyman. Candyman. Okay. Uh, so I please. feel so cheated. The next time let us watch Candyman. you're sitting in your car and you're staring at your mirror and you're rolling your eyes and huffing because you have to put whatever ugly print mask you decided to buy off of Amazon on. Just remind yourself that right before Mike Myers decides to go after Laurie Strode in the now one year delayed sequel to Halloween, he was doing the same thing. He was doing the Lord's work. So wear a mask, <laughs> stay healthy, stay six feet apart. And if you don't stay know how six, far six, six, feet, six apart, feet apart, stay six, six, six feet apart. And just know that whenever you feel stressed, down, or downright ill, we'll be here serving you the best of unwanted commentary about every upcoming horror film. I'm Sean, one of your wine moms of horror. And I'm David, I'm your witch. And this has been your pandemic episode of Queer for Fear. Stay spooky, y'all. <laughs>